listening to the Hell on Wheels podcast with your host, Jason Hallman. Hey, what's up, man? Tim, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Cool. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Um, I'm here with Tim Bradham from uh, TBC Hot Rods. And uh, what is the actual, what do you actually call your business? Because I noticed you've got, um, you're basically like a chassis shop, aren't you? Yeah, it's uh, TBC Hot Rods and Bikes. Um, We build hot rods, uh, we build race cars and bikes. That's nice, dude. I saw some of your work, and, and I've been, you know, kind of poking around online for the last hour or so. And something that strikes me about your shop is it's um, very authentically um, southern-looking, if you know what I mean. I, I just feel like that that building could probably tell some stories of its own. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool building. We just moved into it uh, about seven months ago. Um, I would, you know, I just moved up the street from another shop into this new building, and. It's a bigger building at 16,000 square foot. Um, we ended up uh, renovating front of it for my wife for an antique shop, and then I kept the back of it. So um, it originally uh, originally was a uh, Coca-Cola bottling plant back in the 20s. It's been through a few different hands, but um, you know, now it's ours. We're buying it, so it's going to continue to be just a cool little hot rod shop, you know, slash bike shop from here on out. You know, that's something that's important in business that I, you know, I've got to kind of uh, craw in in right now or I'm just I wrote $24,000 in rent checks this year you know and it's like that's going to somebody else that I could prop my business up with if, if I had if I had bought a building and I, you know I think you're kudos to you for doing that cuz I think in the long run those are the types of businesses that that really make it um you are you you obviously you build bikes you build hot rods you've had your 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 work has been featured in a lot of different places um Talk to me a little bit about, um, there's a bike in one of the pictures where it looks like it's got a sheet metal frame. Is that something that, uh, that, that you're building from a ground up? Yeah, that's, um, I'm building for a gentleman named Chris Dresch. It's actually a French made bike. Um, he came into me a couple of years ago and, uh, brought me a 07 BMW 650 Enduro bike and had this crazy notion that he wanted to build a bike for his father. And it just so happens to, um, you know, be a dress, which is their last name. So when I saw the, when I saw the pictures of the bike, it looked like, you know, something I'd love to tackle. So I went ahead and jumped on it. And what I'd done is I, I did a lot of, uh, like one by two, um, you know, box tubing and cut it and formed it. And, uh, it worked out pretty good rather than trying to do plate, you know, cause I'd have to do a lot of welding and, you know, a lot of warpage would happen and that kind of stuff. But, at this point, I've got it as a complete rolling chassis, and we just have a few things to finish up on it. But there's been a lot of a lot of cool things, you know, handmade uh, girder front end, uh, you know, the handlebars, um, the fenders. I kind of, you know, cheated on. I just went ahead and picked up an early model set of uh, Harley fenders because they almost matched identical to what the uh, dress originally had. Right. But I pretty much sat down and on a piece of paper just kind of did the scale, you know, in, in my own way, how the bike and everything should be. And, you know, that was my blueprint. I've got like four or five pages that I've just kind of t- taken little blueprints and scaled them down so that I could actually build the bike to the specs of what it needed to be done. We, we've changed a couple little things on it because back in the day, you know, the, those bikes were 
I don't know if they were made for like five foot tall people or what, but they were, you know, just kind of un- uncomfortable. So we kind of, you know, moved the seat back a little bit and, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun build and I'm, I'm hoping to get it finished up here shortly. There's a few bike shows coming upon us and I really would like to be able to get that thing finished up and, you know, get it out there and let the world see it. I, I have had a, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Ralph over at Rusty Knuckles, he actually has, uh, He's, he does a lot of blogging, and I think he's posted it enough on you know a couple of the biker blogs, and there's a couple of them that want to do an article on it and stuff, so I think that's kind of cool. That's cool. That's something that we have at our disposal nowadays that a lot of people don't realize that, um, that the benefit of it is that with the Internet, we can kind of just put out there what, what we're working on, and people organically um, that, that would be drawn to that are drawn to it from all over the, the country and all over the world, and it kind of gives – it gives our project um, a whole, a much wider, uh, a much wider um, audience than than say if uh, if you look back, let's say twenty years ago, when this was going on, because uh, it was still going on back then. But you really had to know somebody, and you had to be kind of in the, in that little that boys club, you know what I mean? And now uh, people like what they like, and you can find just about anything you want to you want to find out there. I've I've found out that the blog has. Um it's been a big help in the business because um, I do a lot of work, you know, up and down the East Coast and out Midwest. And a uh, majority of the people that do find me, it's surprisingly enough, you know, they just type in those keywords. And on a blog, you know, if you've got them working together, um, just like my Flickr account with all the photos and stuff, you put all the keywords in there and, you know, people are going to find you. And it's definitely over years, I've always done my own websites and I've, you know, made very little to do them just to be, you know, on the, downside about it so i didn't have to spend so much money but when i went in and did the blog i could see a big difference in the way the people were finding me and and i could really go in and look at the graph of where people are finding me from and and weekly how people are visiting it and it's been a big help well what other blogs do you um do you frequent i mean you've got yours um but where do you do you you go on the ham do you go on the the jockey journal and, and stuff like that yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm on the ham right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, going on the ham, the Jockey Journal, uh, Chop Colt, you know, a lot of those, uh, um, a lot of those are kind of inspiration, you know, just to kind of look at them and see what people are doing and stuff. And, I've, you know, I'm a member of, you know, majority of all of them. And it's it's really hard to, you know, go on and, and post things on every one of those sites on a day-to-day basis. So, Normally what I'll do is, is, you know, like I hate to say it, but a lot of people are against it, but some people love it like Instagram. It's so easy to take a picture and, and just kind of write something real quick and then it posts automatically to a Facebook and yeah, you know, I think the other stuff Instagram you want to go is on. Phenomenal. Instagram is like, yeah. the, it's killing the blogs, to be honest with you. There's a lot of guys that, um, not a blog like yours necessarily, because a, a couple of things that you do really right is your um, blog is your business's website. And that's a smart thing yeah. to do. If you're going to – where it gets arduous is when you're trying to manage a Facebook page, um, an Instagram account, um, a blog, all that stuff. But if you're doing it how you're doing it, um, it looks like it's just posting right to it, and, and you're sharing the same information. So it's, it's – although it seems redundant, somebody that goes to your blog religiously is going to see what you want them to see, and somebody that follows you on Instagram is going to see what you want them to see as well. Right. It, it's been a big – it's been a big – you know, it's been a big, a big help just because, you know, Instagram is, you know, it's quick, easy, 
And, you know, for to be able to go right onto my blog, go to Facebook, go to, you know, Tumblr and all the other ones, you know, I mean, I think my wife thinks I'm, you know, pretty much crazy when I have all that stuff going on, but it's, it's just to me, it's marketing. Yeah. And, you know, being, being a small business and, you know, uh, not being a, you know, like West Coast Customs, you know, you know, big, big businesses like that, you know, it's kind of cool to, to get recognized, you know, by people like that, that are, that are bigger businesses than I am, but it's kind of cool to go on a, um, you know, Instagram and, and see somebody else, you know, uh, that's bigger, that's been in it way longer, that they're actually liking what you're doing and so on and so on. And I have noticed that here recently that, you know, some, some pretty big name guys have actually hit me up on Facebook and Instagram and all that. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because there are so many, there's there's only a finite amount of people that ha- I mean there's only what there's 24 hours in a day and that's never going to change and you've got you know um, networks like TLC and you've got networks like the History Channel and Discovery Channel and stuff and, and you know that kind of stuff it seems like that would be the way to go and you know to try to get your business on that but um, you don't have to do that to To have a successful business, I mean, you're you're obviously proof of that. So, wh- how much stock do you put in something like that? Have you ever been offered anything like that? No, I, I haven't. You know, it's it's just one of them deals where I guess being being a small business, I, I've never really. I've had a few offers, uh, you know, as far as television things, right. um, and one was you know several years ago, and and one was just here recently, and. Um, we, we did a video of, of a buddy of mine, Josh from out of Utah came out from uh, depth of speed and he did a good, you know, just an awesome video on us. And, um, we got hit up by, uh, in a production company and, you know, they wanted us to do a television show and so on and so on. And, you know, we did a couple little interviews with them and stuff. And, um, quite honestly, uh, um, you know, me and my wife kind of chuckle about it left and right because, you know, I'm pretty serious about what I do. And I don't try to drag all the drama like all the normal television shows that are out there right now. Right. And to be able to be serious about what I do and, and have that passion to do what I do, it, I think I kind of turned them off. I mean, they, they loved the video. They loved how it all played out and everything. But when we did the interview with them, uh, you know, it was pretty much they wanted us to really like, you know, oh, well, act like a redneck, you know, act real Southern and. You know, do crazy shit and all this other stuff, and I and I just I'm not I'm not like that. Well, I'm just I, a simple guy. I give I'm, you a I'm lot of credit I, because that's a tough uh, thing to walk away from. And, and I will tell you, I did that one episode of Motor City Motors, and that turned me. I would never do that type of program again. I will honestly tell you that that the, the only way I would ever do something on TV would be, I would love to have a show on um, like the horsepower or the. What is that? The horsepower hour, where you have you know that guy that builds a four by four, and he basically shows you tools and how he uses them and stuff like that. Something that that seemed real, but there's no way I would do yeah. some campy, fucking act like an asshole. Because when even when I did that one show, there was a bit of of that trying to happen and go on, and you can see it. I could see through the bullshit, you know. And I met some good people on that show, um, and uh, people that I'd like to work with in in a in the correct environment, but you know, that's you're, you would have to completely sell yourself out and act like an ass. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree. I'm, I'm just, I just, uh, I don't know, dude, it, it's just one of them deals where, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Jesse James follower and, you know, I, I watch 
I don't care about his personal life. And I, you know, I got plenty of people that relate me to Jesse James here locally. Right. And they, they see what I do. They see what I'm capable of. And, you know, they, they look at it like his whole personal life and they, they try to dissect that out and stuff, you know, and I look at it like, you know, I don't look at that. I look at what the man's done, what he's become, what he can build and, you know, the fabrication side of things. And I relate myself that same way as far as, you know, being able to do that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to watching the latest episodes of, you know, Outlaw Garage or, you know, stuff like that. I don't watch any of it. I, I, I faithfully, my, my flat screen television and my workshop is constantly going with those videos. And I hate, I, I guess I could probably say that the best one that I watch over and over and over and over is the blacksmith one. And uh, the yeah. reason I watch that one over and over and over is because there's no drama. There's no it, drama in it, it at all. None. It, it's how it's how people should be on television, showing people how things are done. And you know, you can get a little bit of a little bit of stuff in there here and there about you know your personal life, you know, with your kids and everything else. But you know, I'm just I don't know. I guess I'm just a truest and a purist. That you know, as far as keep it simple and you know, just work and let your work speak for itself, and just keep all the drama out of it. I couldn't agree more. Um, I catch myself. Uh, and this sounds really cheesy probably, but I catch myself getting um, a bit of a recharge of my battery when I watch like an old uh, Motorcycle Mania 1 or something like that yeah. or Motorcycle Mania 2 because I think it was organic and it was it – was, they hadn't figured out that formula yet of uh, how to make people look like assholes. And right, I, exactly. And I think a lot of that has been – a lot of what we see on TV I think is people being made out to be assholes and they get that – you know, I don't know what kind of paycheck you get for that. You know, I, I know that they threw around um, the word. The number that I heard was uh, seven figures um, on that motorcycle mania or not the motorcycle mania, the uh, the Motor City Motors. Mm -hmm. And uh, but that it was it was just it was weird. That was a weird environment to be in. Um, what's your background? I mean, how did you get into the business that you're in? How did you, did you go to school? Did you, do you have a degree? Are you an engineer? No, I'm, I'm pretty much just self-taught. I, uh, I actually, uh, started working at a Meineke muffler. Um, my dad ended up telling me one day when I was doing another job that I wasn't happy in, he said that they were looking for some work and I went up there and within two weeks, they, they really liked what I was about and they threw me in a manager's position and, at night, I would be, you know, MIG welding, you know, trying to teach myself, you know, all the tight bending and so on and so on. And I just, I don't know, I, I couldn't leave that place once I got in there and started welding and fabricating just on doing exhaust stuff. And I've done exhaust work for years and, you know, doing exhaust work and bending pipe, it just kind of rolled into doing race car, you know, chassis and um, just one thing led to another. My wife won Christmas and she you know, ended up buying me a Lincoln TIG welder, and I knew one of the guys that went to the local IHRA tracks, and I talked to him, and he was actually a representative for Lincoln, and he showed me some pointers on TIG welding, and that was just it. I just I couldn't put it down. You were a hook, I just, Yeah, I was, it was just addictive. I mean, I just, I just everything, I'm self-taught. You know, I don't really, I can't really say that anybody has really ever really sat down with me and showed me anything. I think the biggest thing that I can truly say that I've done to teach myself is going to drag, you know, drag races, looking at how things are built, asking questions, buying any kind of book that you can buy, you know, that has anything to do with sheet metal fabrication. And 
I'm not really so much on the reading part. I can look at a picture and kind of be like, oh, okay, I see what that is now. <laughs> I, I'm, you know what I mean? I struggle I mean, I've read books, with that big Don't get time. me wrong, but I'm kind of a picture type person. <laughs> I am too. I mean, you know, there's those of us that are kinesthetic learners that we, we really we, we rely on our hands. And, and uh, you know, I'm being a high school auto shop teacher. I have a lot of students that, that are that way. I mean, that's just how they get through life. And that's how I got through life too. I, I am not somebody – I am probably the last person that's going to grab a set of instructions – I'm going to look at everything I have. I'm going to analyze the project that I want to do before I do anything else, and I'm going to try to figure out a way to do it without reading those directions. It's like kryptonite to me. Right. So you mentioned well, – I, I, will, I, will, I will say the – I just picked up a Pullmax P9, and it's kind of like the biggest beast that you could probably ever get your hands on. And I told my wife, I said, I really would love to be able to take a three-day course at Faye Butler's just to be able to – truly say that I have done one thing in my life before I pass away so that somebody that's a master of it could show me how to use that machine so I'm not sitting there beating my brain for 10 years. Well, I'll tell you this. If I can give you any piece of advice, um, Faye Butler is obviously that's somewhere where, you know, the masters go to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. I took a course uh, at Voodoo Choppers with Eric Gorgeous. Um, He's got a pole max. The guy is, he's absolutely, I put him in the same league with with any of the top guys that they're sheet metal workers and his method of teaching is very good um before you spend the twenty five hundred dollars at phase i would highly recommend giving eric a call and 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 taking his course it's cheap to fly to detroit it's you know the hotels are cheap there it's a three-day course i think he's teaching now it's a lot less expensive and in uh, he he's got all the tools he's got a pull max and and to watch him work that i can't work that I've tried, and it, it kicks my ass. I mean, I watch him work, and he just works it like butter. And then I go try to do the same thing he did, and it just it kicked my ass. So I, I know what you mean. I mean, there is there's definitely something to that. And, and I, w- I would never say not to go to Faye's down the road. But I, if right, you look right, at the right. kind of guys that go to Faye Butler, um, it's just pretty high-level stuff. Do you, uh, do you remember um, uh, John Jackson from Chopper Dogs? Yeah. He went to phase. He's gone to phase several times. So he's somebody else you could contact too. They could tell you about, you know, he's got a pretty good idea of, of what, what that's all about. But that's, that's interesting that you're kind of the same way. A lot of people are in this business is you, you have an interest. So you kind of just attack it, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's important that people do that and challenge themselves. Um, so you don't have you don't have an engineering background, uh, anything, no formal education in that. But um, how did how did your hot rod shop begin? I mean, you you started in my, at Meineke Muffler when? Um, I started back in '93, uh, okay. and um, pretty much um, around '95, me and my wife got together. Um, we ended up uh, getting married in '97. Uh, we bought a house prior to that, but we ended up building a garage. So I've got a 2000 square foot garage behind the house. And I just, you know, mainly when Mineke muffler got to the point to where it was just becoming aggravating with the way the owner was running it, me and my dad um, went out and we started another uh, muffler shop and I ran the you know, muffler shop during the daytime. And then at nighttime I would come in the garage at the house and I would just, you know, keep working and, you know, better my skills and I'd be building race cars and, um, I dabbled in the bikes for a pretty good while, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the bikes just started coming around more and more. So, um, I, you know, just kind of 
took in anything and everything I could just to kind of better my skills, you know, just to tackle it, just to not say no and just keep pushing forward. Do you, um, so you're mostly a fabricator guy then. Do you do any engine building? Any of that, you know? I do my, I do my own engine building. Um, me and my wife, you know, uh, we have like 16 cars and I think I've got like eight or nine motorcycles now. So, I mean, majority of them, uh, there's only probably about four or five of them that are actually running, but the rest of them are projects that are in waiting for me to be able to do stuff on. But when it comes to engine building, um, I think the only thing I won't tackle is probably a transmission. Um, I don't mind, you know, getting a motor and tearing it down, taking it to the machine shop, let them do the machine shop work. And then when it comes back to the house, you know, I'm like everything out, you know, assemble it, uh, so on and so on. So when a customer comes to you with either a bike or a car, I mean, what is the what is the the general process that you go through um, when that you know I mean they're all I guess they all kind of follow the same path. They're in uh, motorcycles and cars really are are not altogether that different. I mean, you're, you know, they're mechanical objects, and you know, one has two wheels, one has four. Um, but what is the what's your process when you're when a customer comes through the threshold of your door and they've got a something on a trailer and they want you to look at it? you know, take us through kind of what you do. The the biggest thing is whenever they show up, it's, uh, you know, first we go out, you know, if they do bring it by on a trailer, which I've had many of them do, um, they come in and they want to know the, the, the most irritating part of the whole thing, the process is they want to know right then and there how much it's going to cost. <laughs> and um, the biggest thing on that is, you know, you don't really know what you're getting into, especially something that's got a bunch of Bondo in it and stuff. And um, it all boils down to time and materials and, you know, at $75 an hour, you know, we collect that first month or first week's uh, pay and we'll work on the car as we go through it. You know, we'll call the customer, give them an update on it. They come in, they, they look at it, and we continue to process. Um, prior to that, though, not jumping the gun, but prior to that, um, we like to kind of sit down with the customer and try to figure out exactly what they do want to do. Um, some of the people that, that come into the shop, they're so taken by what they see because I've just got such, such an array of projects going on. They may want a traditional hot rod. They may want just a pure nasty hot rod that's just, you know, over the top, um, which I've done a few of those. Um, but just talking to the customer and finding out exactly what they want to have done, then we go from there. And I'll get them to say, you know, hey, look, well, you know, look, you know, send me some pictures of stuff that you, you know, that you like. Um, you know, especially the style and, you know, stance and all this other stuff. And then that will help us build the bike or car better for you. Um, but it, you know, it, I, I will tell you the hardest part about the whole project is keeping the customer involved, you know, when it comes to the whole build process, because a lot of times their appetite bigger than their budget. So and, is it tough? Is, so when you say the tough part is keeping them involved, it's, um, they want too much involvement, not enough involvement, or their their vision is is changing as it goes. I think it's the the money of it. I mean, when when you when you first start talking, it's it's like you know, like for example, I have a a Mustang right now uh, that I over a year ago the guy brought to me, and it was a real sentimental value. Um, it was a '68 Mustang. It was a rust. It was a Rustang, is what we called it. It was all ate up. I bought every panel that I could buy for this car. And originally talking to the guy, I gave him a quote of what it would roughly cost to do the car. But he wanted pro-touring suspension, um, you know, uh, nasty little 351 Windsor in it, you know, five-speed. And it's like it's like a $50,000 build. Right. And 
when we first get started in it, you know, we didn't even get like $6,000 going into it. And it's like six months down the road, I'm trying to get money from him to continue the project because, you know, he just kind of avoided me for a little bit, you know, and I don't like to take big lump sums of money and do a big project because I don't want people holding things over my head. Yeah. You know, as far as, you know, I, I like to be able to be comfortable when I'm building project and I like to be able to see at the end of the project that I'm collecting money on it and I'm not robbing Peter to pay Paul to, to finish the project. I do the same thing. So, I, um, uh, I break my projects it, up into four four little payments. You know, we do the initial one, you cover the parts and, and a little bit of labor as we go, and then there's always that final bill at the end so that the customer still is in control. Well, that's that's kind of the deal with the, the Mustang on this one that I'm doing because it's, you know, it, it's like six months ago is the last time I heard from him because he went overseas. And, you know, we do have a lot of military in our town because we're at Fort Bragg. But, right. Um, it's just one of them deals where, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I kind of like to start back on this Mustang. You know, I hopefully I got another guy coming on board that can help me out and so on and so on. And lo and behold, over the holidays, I get an email from him. It's like, hey, man, I'm I'm back and I want to throw some more money at that project and you know, and, it, and it's really hard because money money is the, the hardest part in the whole project of the scenario because, you know, if you're talking a $50,000 bill, you know, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And when, when they don't stay on board with you as far as, you know, like, hey, if I collect 2000 or $3,000 from you and I work through that and I call you and then you give me another two or $3,000 and I continue to do it and then I don't hear from you for six months, I mean, I don't charge your storage fee or anything and I don't get real... And I got plenty of stuff to do, so I right. just jump on another project and I work on it. But the the it just becomes more difficult because it's like you got a project sitting there taking up real estate. You yeah, know, and, and you want to you want to do it and you want to build it. So that that's kind of the hardest thing, I guess. When I say it's you know the customer being involved and keeping them on track, because you know I could sit there and be like, hey, I need twenty thousand dollars or I need fifty thousand dollars to do this project start to finish. But majority of the time, they're not going to have it right off the get go. So you know, we just kind of do it in smaller portions. So, so you do. Um, it sounds like you kind of you don't have one specific area of expertise. I mean, and I don't mean I'm not trying to take anything away from what you said, but I'm just gathering information from what I've seen. It looks like that you've got a you've got your own way of doing things, and that people recognize that. But that you've got a pretty open. Uh, a pretty open palette of what you can complete. I've seen some drag cars. I've seen some hot rods. I've seen some low riders. I've seen some some motorcycles. So you kind of you you do kind of cover all those bases. So where do you? I mean, what's your favorite to do? I, I spread myself too thin. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite? What I one? do. <laughs> what What makes you the happiest um, when you're building something? Well, I, I I guess the biggest thing about it is is it's. Um, I mean, just to, I kind of have that knack, and a lot of us do, um, where you look at something and you can kind of see what the thing will look like when it's finished, even though it's sitting there and it looks like just a complete turd sitting in front of you. Right. I mean, you you can already see what it's going to look like, and you kind of have that vision, and, you know, your juices start flowing as far as all the stuff that you want to do on it and everything, and, you know, then you want to get to the customer and start, you know, talking to them about all that stuff. And, I mean, it, it really is nice when you have a customer that works with you on it. And I've had a lot of good customers and I've had bad customers just like in, you know, with all of our businesses, but, um, just to be able to, I like trying to do stuff different. Um, you know, just, I mean, like not trying to go on the internet all that much and look at so many different things, but just trying to be a little bit more original 
Um, you know, for example, like, I don't know if you've seen on my site, but I did a little 40, um, I mean, a 37 Chevy pickup truck, and I built a set of frame rails for it, the front frame rails. I call them the holy rails. And they're not like anything you've seen really out there on the market. Right. And that that draws a lot of attention in right there. And, you know, that's kind of like the unique part of it is you're kind of, you're kind of an artist in the same perspective as being a, a fabricator. So my wife always told me, you know, don't just stick to one thing, you know, just, you know, let your mind be broadened to be able to do different things because you never know what's going to come in the door. Sounds like you, uh, you've got a pretty lucky situation there with, um, Mrs. Bradham being, um, so supportive. Um, is this, so this is kind of a family, this is, there's some family buy-in here. Um, how do you how do you balance that? How do you balance that out and do what you need to be? You know, you said you spread yourself thin. How do you balance yourself out to where you're hitting? You know, you're you're making the mark everywhere. Um, in relationship wise, well, or I mean, just wise? in general. I mean, in business. <laughs> I mean, I've been in business for nine years now, and there's been a lot of there's been a few soccer games I haven't been at. You know, metaphorically speaking, a few things that you know people have wanted me to to be at that you know well where's jason well he's he's at his shop i mean how do you how do you how do you fit all that in i think it's um i think she's well she's a car one she's a you know car person i mean you know she's got you know a a nova race car a nova daily driver and she's got a 32 ford coupe i mean you can't get no cooler than that (laughs) all right yeah i mean so she's, you know, she's pretty much, um, she's pretty good with everything that I'm doing. She knows that I'm, you know, I've been doing it for 18 years full time and we don't have any kids. You know, we had a couple of dogs that just passed away this past summer. Um, actually one passed in the summer and one passed uh, about a couple of months ago. But, um, as far as balancing it all out and everything, I, I guess that's one of the reasons why I gave for the front of the shop as far as the new building that we came into, cause she has an antique shop in the front of it now. Right. And my ultimate goal is to, you know, she, we, we, I do have a guy that runs the front counter, which runs her antique shop, but I want to get her full time in the antique shop. That way we're kind of like right there at each other, you know, if we need each other. Right. Um, I, I love what I do and she loves antiques and I'm just trying to balance the two out to make sure that we both, you know, have something to do that we enjoy. Um, but, you know, that's, it really hasn't really been really, really hard. I mean, if I have to, if I have to make time and, you know, she really you know needs that time together, then I just basically I just don't go up to the shop and work. I just kind of, you know, stay home and give her the time that she needs. But, you know, it's it's being married is, you know, there's a lot of compromises on both sides. So we just have to work through it on a day to day basis. Your um your shop's 16,000 square feet. How much of it do you have earmarked for the hot rod in the in the motorcycle building? Um, I actually downsized. um I think I've got about 4,800 square foot. Um, whereas my old, my old shop, the the shop up the street was 6,500 square foot. Um, the building that we're in actually has uh, 5,800 square foot up front, but then it also has 5,800 square foot upstairs. Oh, wow. So, um, I got a lot of, um, motorcycle and car parts that I have up there. So I guess I could say I'm utilizing some of that square footage also. You ought to just build, uh, but a, the build actual, a 5,800 actual square foot house. <laughs> Up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we actually joked around. It'd be cool to make a house out of it just so we're always there at the shop, but but I don't think that'll happen. Um, but now I've got about uh, 4,800 square foot because um, I've got a paint and body shop also, and I've, I've got one guy that does that for me, and then I do all the fab work and um, everything, you know, on that side of it, and then I hand it over to him, and I let him paint it. Uh, so we're kind of like mixed together, but 
that we're still working out all the bugs in the new shop. It's it's a little awkward just because you're having to deal with the dust and everything of you know the body work and so on and so on. So it's a constant cleanup. Right. Well, so you have. Um... Let's talk about some of the tools that you have around the shop because you're very you look very well equipped. Um, what are your favorite tools to use? What's what's the tool that you go to all the time? You find yourself uh, you know constantly like you know gravitating gravitating towards that one particular piece. Um, I probably have to say my Lincoln TIG welder. I mean that's pretty much the heart and soul of the business. Um, it's uh, used every day. I mean whether it's a roll cage in a race car or you know, a, a chassis on a 32 frame or something like that, or a motorcycle. I mean, I'm, I love welding and, um, everything else I have as far as machinery, um, you know, like I got a, a lathe, I've got a milling machine. Um, I've got the pull max machine. Um, there, there's a lot of, I guess there's a lot of, uh, machinery. Um, there's one where well, there's one particular piece of machinery that I haven't really done a whole lot with that I've had for like a year now. And that's a Herco CNC machine. Okay. And um, that's one that I haven't really tackled. I'm just not really up on the, you know, the whole computer side of the CNC stuff. But um, my buddy Dale, uh, who's got Mutiny Motorcycles, I just built him a, uh, a custom frame off his design. And he's a little bit more on the up on that. And I think me and him are going to try to put our heads together and see if we can't start putting that thing to better use because it's just sitting in the corner right now plugged in, but we're just not really utilizing it. Is that something that you're going to have maybe a small line of parts, chassis parts or something like that, that you either manufacture for use at your shop or manufacture for sale maybe to uh, another garage builder, somebody that's kind of, you know, um, trying to tackle some of this stuff on their own? Yeah, that's... um Believe it or not, that's a lot of my goal for the new year is, um, you know, I want to start doing more motorcycle stuff, uh, handlebars, you know, uh, foot pegs and, you know, controls and stuff like that. I mean, I've been I've been somewhat collecting motorcycles for the last four or five months, just trying to buy them wherever I can buy them so that I can actually have some R&D stuff. Um, and that's one thing I do want to shoot for is, is I want to I really would love to be able to start building some uh, a product line that I can get out there and start pushing a little bit more. What kind of what kind of bikes do you have? Um, of course, I got a CFL. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a CFL. I've had it since '05. Um, kind of under the agreement with the wife until her coupe gets done. I can't finish my CFL, so we're we're both trying to work on both of those back to back whenever we can. Um, uh, I mean, I, a few of the bikes that I picked up in-house, uh, like a little Sportster, uh, one that I'm going to take and probably just make like a little cafe bike out of, you know, something I can turn and sell. Um, I've just picked up another Springer, a um, little custom frame. Uh, it's going to have a little shovel head in it, uh, one that I'm going to start working on that I can put out there uh, for sale. Uh, I got a little Triumph. Um, a buddy of mine wrecked this Triumph. Um I ended up getting the motor and all that stuff, and I've got a little 68 Bonneville frame that I'm going to cut up and, you know, stick that little uh, Triumph motor in it because it came out of, like, an 07 Triumph Bonneville. Oh, okay, so, I got gotcha. uh, Kind of do something kind of retro, you know, take a late model motor and, you know, put in a 68 frame and kind of have, like, a Springer front end, um, you know, just something that would be kind of cool, kind of, you know, old school meets new type thing. That's very cool. Talk to me about this mutiny bike that you just did uh, for with uh, the collaborative thing. Did did you build the front end and the frame? Uh, Dale actually designed the frame um, on computer, and he actually did the same thing for the uh, girder front end. Right. Um, 
I ended up building the frame um, in the shop for him because he didn't really have the capabilities of doing it. Um, he's a, he's a bike guy. He has you know a lot of knowledge when it comes to the uh, CAD stuff and all the blueprint stuff. So he kind of did all that up and then brought it into me on a piece of paper and said, "Hey, I want you to build this frame." So I ended up building this frame, which is based off of a uh, Buell um, engine setup and everything. And the girder front end, he actually had another guy, I guess another company that was going to build the girder front end for him and market it and sell it. And I think some stuff didn't go right there, so he backed out of it. So I'm going to start building his girder front ends for him also, which will be a, a product line, hopefully, that me and him both can kick off with the frame and that girder front end. Oh, right on. That's very cool. That's very, very cool. <clears throat> what's the most uh, What's the most challenging part of uh, of building a car and then I mean, we talked about the you know the, the challenging part of the business but what's give me an instance of maybe where you've taken a car in and you take the body off the frame or something you're like oh god i didn't see this i mean wh- where do you you know what's the toughest part about building a, a ground-up car i would probably say on the, it would probably be on the older ones when you have all the sheet metal work to do um, the sheet metal work is, you know, always tedious, you know, when, especially when you get one that's, you know, twenties, thirties, you know, even up into the forties and the fifties. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for 49 to 54 Chevys and I've done a couple of those as far as not so much complete ground up builds, but, uh, helping guys out, you know, on the, on the body panels and stuff like that. Um, right now, like I've got a 27 T that I'm building for a gentleman that's overseas in the military. Um, and it's, you know, it was all twisted and, and bent all up and everything. And you can't really find all the measurements, something you can go off to fix all that stuff. So, you know, the, I would, I'd, I'd have to say the, the sheet metal is the, the hardest to me. Do you I mean, have it's not a, really hard do, it's not really hard doing the work. It's just a matter of it. That's the most time consuming part about it. Do you have an English wheel and a planishing hammer and a beater bag and, and the requisite things to, to, to make sheet metal panels or yep. what do you, how do you? Yep. Yeah, I got all that. And you're all self-taught on that as well? Yep. Wow. That's uh, that's actually very, very, very impressive just because I know how hard it was for me to – you know, some people – I think, you know, I believe it that people have – certain people have uh, natural abilities to do certain things. And I think my natural ability um, pretty much stops at talking to people and, and selling them things. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I have built – you know, put some bikes together and put some cars together, but – I'm mostly just a, a mouthpiece for for cool people and cool things <laughs> because that stuff just kicks my ass sometimes. Um, so for 2013, you're trying to uh, you definitely want to try to build yourself a little you know a little niche market there. Um, how much of like when you take a car on um, that you're building a uh, building a chassis for for a drag car? Um, You've got to certify that stuff, and, and, and you've got to follow the rule book and stuff like that. How how often do you do stuff like? How often do you do those cars? Um, right now, um, right now I just finished up a uh, a '68 Dart. Uh, it's a Hemi clone super stock car. Um, that one actually, I did all the chassis work on and stuff. That was a project for about a year that I worked on, and it. It went down to a paint shop, which was a buddy of his that we, he was doing some trade-out work with, and it came back. I just put everything back together on it, and um, he kind of had another guy that was going to wire and plumb it. So uh, that one I did, which is out of the shop, um, and I've got a uh, 87 tube chassis Camaro that I've got to put back together. The chassis just came back from powder coat uh, about a month ago, 
So that one's one that I got to put back together, which it's already been certified a 25-1. Right. Uh, last last year, I think I had, I think I had three cars certified uh, 25-1, 25-2, which is the specification that you have to meet um, in the SFI. So uh, last year was a pretty good year as far as on the certification. And, you know, that, that's something that people don't really look at as far as, uh, you know, I've had a few people, you, you always have the, the local haters, and I've had a few guys that were just kind of like, you know, well, why do you want to have Tim build your car? You know, he's not certified to do this or do this or do that. And it's just kind of like, well, I mean, if you look at what I build and my welding and, the, you know, my fabrication skills and everything else, and, oh, by the way, look at that certification sticker that just got put on there. Yeah, I mean, let's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, go ahead. That that's the I, I tell people that's my uh, that's my self-taught school and that's my certification right there is that sticker. Yeah, and and you know I mean I, I some of the people that are probably going to be listening to this are going to be going like I thought this the Hell on Wheels podcast was about motorcycles and it is but it, you know when you think about the fact that you know you hit on all cylinders and you can build lots of different things. Um, and most of your uh, high-level builders, guys like Jerry Covington, uh, Jesse James, even Billy, um, they've built cars too. Um, and and so if you want to have somebody build you a custom motorcycle, why not hire somebody that can build a car that's certified to go six seconds in the quarter mile at over 200 miles an hour? Why not, why not hire that guy is my point. And Let's find out more about what people can do. And, and so much of the technology transfers over, wouldn't you say, from cars to bikes? Well, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a big Jesse James, you know, guy. And I think he said it the best when if a guy builds a race car and all them welds are there that you can see and you can see everything in its raw form state, you know, then there's nothing being hidden. Right. You know, and I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of guys build bikes and I've seen their welding and I've seen them grind the welds down and fill, you know, put Bondo over it. And, you know, I'm the type of guy that, you know, I, I like being able to take my tubing notcher and, and notch that tubing, you know, that has less than a 16th, you know, where you can go in there and, you know, weld it up and see that nice pretty weld and leave it in its natural state. And, hey, don't Bondo it, don't cover it up, just paint it. Yeah, and that was one yeah, of the things that I loved about, and you know, I fell in love with. I have a CFL as well that you, as you know, um, that one of the things I loved about the CFL was that you didn't have to metal finish the frame, and that the welds all looked perfect. And you know, perfect as in you could tell they were organic and they were done right, and they were done by a human being. So there was a couple, you know, there would always be those little, you know, you'd see where it wasn't exactly, you know, a robot had done it. But I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't like wrapped pipes. I don't like um, I don't like bondoed frames. I, you know, I don't I don't like that. I want to see I want to see it how it looks. And I don't know. Were you at NLP in two thousand seven? No, I wasn't. Okay, I wasn't sure if you had been there or not because that's when I, I rode my, my CFL there. Um, completely metal finished. It was it wasn't painted. There wasn't any paint on it or anything. And so, and I got a lot of compliments on that, just based on the fact that people could see that it was, you know, there's no way to hide it if you're not if there's no bondo on there, you're not hiding anything. Yeah, and I, I, I very much I like seeing, <clears throat> I like seeing things in its natural form. I mean, it just, you know, sheet metal. I mean, it, it amazes me. Like I was saying earlier, you know, I'm on the ham and I'm looking around and I'm looking at anything and everything that that is metal finished or, you know. Uh, jig welded and everything in its natural state i'm just attracted to i mean it, it's to me that just shows the craftsmanship you know and the quality of what people 
you know, like myself, try to strive for. I mean, there everybody has idols out there, and when you see all that kind of stuff going on, just like you said earlier, you know, when you watch Motorcycle Mania 1, 2, you know, History of the Chopper, any of that kind of stuff, it's all driven to push you harder to go out in the garage and work. Right. You know, and, and that's that's pretty much what I like about it is because I love being able to see that kind of stuff and then, like, going to the shop and being like, you know what, I can I can build this fender or I can build this gas tank. And then you get that wow factor, whether it's the customer or yourself or, you know, my wife looking at it or whatever it is. I mean, it, it's that's always a good, you know, feeling to be able to accomplish that. Do you go to bike shows? Yeah, I go to local ones. I haven't really been to a lot of them out of state. Um just because of my my workload, I mean, I'm, you know, I go like to the smoke out and stuff like that, just to see what guys are, you know, doing and everything. But I haven't really been to anything really big. Um, me and my wife, we've been to some car shows and stuff like that. But as far as the bike stuff, is something I'm going to be trying to push a little bit harder for this year. What's the first thing you do when when you get to a bike show and you and you see a bike that catches your eye? What's the first thing you're looking at? What catches your eye first? The fabrication. So you go I mean, right. That, you go right for the right for the the stuff that you can see that that the person who built the bike made, right? Right. I mean, that's just I don't know. I, I guess that from building race cars and going to the races, you know, and 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 jumping up underneath the car and and looking at all the 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 fabrication of it. I mean, I just I'm the type of person I like to. I don't look at the paint. I don't look at, you know, the wheels or anything like that. I'll try to look at anything and everything that was pretty much built by somebody. And, right. and I mean, that right there to me is, that's what, I, that's what draws me to it. What do you, um, so when you build a bike, um, how much of the bike or what part of the build is not handled in-house at your shop? Like, I mean, everybody's, you know, obviously you got to buy tires and you got to buy tubes, but what do you have to go outside of your shop for to, to source out? Um, pretty much the only thing I really have to do on that is just, you know, buying a motor and transmission. I mean, everything else is done in house. I mean, I wire it. Um, my, my boy Robbie paints it. Um, I do all the fab work. Uh, so I mean, as far as like not outsourcing, but just anything we have to buy, I mean, it's whether it's a, we buy a frame or a motor and transmission, but I don't, I don't think there's anything outsourced by any other person that's going to have anything to do with it. If that's, if that's what you're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly what, you know, I mean, you have, so how many people work at, at your hot rod shop? Uh, right now it's just me doing all the fab work and stuff and my painter. Okay. Um, and then I've got Brad that actually runs the front counter and that was, that was kind of my choice about six months ago when I moved into the new building. I had a few more hands-on guys that were working with me, and I just didn't see it working out. So I just kind of like pulled the plug on them, and now I'm uh, I'm back on track where I, you know I'm gonna have to find a couple more hands to come in, and it's just gonna have to be real selective as far as you know somebody that can walk in the door that can you know not not be shown what to do or so on and so on. Just say hey, that you know I need this done this way, and you know jig weld it, you know do whatever you have to do. I, I, I just need a, a couple of more good hands. I don't have to hold hands with, let's right. put it that way. So you're not, you wouldn't, um, at, at this point, there's not like, you know, there's not an opportunity for a kid to come in and sweep the floor and learn the business. You really need somebody who is, who's already got a good, good skill level and good skill set and they can just kind of hit the ground running. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done that apprenticeship. Matter of fact, I did one for a kid here, uh, you know, about eight, nine months ago. And, 
you know, he just, he worked out really good, kind of became a son and, you know, he ended up turning around and taking off and going to work at another hot rod shop just because they were going to pay him more money. It's, you know, kind of the, I don't know, I guess it's, uh, always that, that scenario where you give too much information out or you, you do something much more than what you probably should have did. And then they always want to go on to bigger, better things. Yeah. You almost give um, somebody a blueprint and how to, how to pull the rug out from under you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, um, I mean, I, and I still, it's funny. I was talking about this with the guys the other night, um, when I was in the shop, uh, yesterday and I'm cleaning up and just trying to better organize myself for the new year, trying to get myself mentally, you know, ready for it. And, uh, you know, I had one of my ex-employees stop by, and he used to be my old painter. And, you know, and it's like we kind of had an outing, you know, for the first couple of months when he, you know, didn't work for me anymore. But now we, we talk and have a good time, and we kind of laugh and chuckle at the, you know, the past or whatever. And I guess I guess the, the older you get, the more you just kind of learn to just kind of let things go. And, you know, if you've got a past employee that can't get over it, you know, then you just need to let them go. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I've kind of, push harder and harder for is, you know, I don't want to be enemies with anybody, whether it's a, you know, a, a friend or an employee or whichever that don't work with me no more. And, you know, you just, life's too short to be mad at the world and everything else. And, you know, just like I told my wife, I said, I think this year, I just want to be a little bit more humble about things. That's funny. Uh, you know, it's obviously, it's a new, today's New Year's Day. And so, you know, the news resolutions are getting thrown around and that's almost identically um, the same resolution I had I just I, I don't want to fight with anybody I don't want any conflict I, I need to put as much good karma out there as I can and that's one of the reasons why I really want to do this podcast so I think there's guys too many guys out there like yourself that are incredibly talented um, and the only you've got two ways of doing things you can go pimp yourself out to a point where you're not getting your job done uh, affect you know as well as you can, or you have to sell yourself out and, and get involved in one of those programs that we talked about, where you, it's not you anyways, and you're gonna end up, you know, you're gonna end up hating your job. You know what I mean? That's right. what it comes down to. And and I don't hate my job. I love my job, and I I I can definitely tell that you love your job as well. So anything that you can do to to, to maintain that for as long as you can is going to be a positive thing. And I, and I agree with you. I think letting go of, of past um, ills and, and things that maybe somebody's done, not necessarily to you, but to better themselves. And it ends up kind of being a negative thing on your end. It's, it's definitely better to let that go. Well, my wife's always told me that karma's a bitch. It is, man. Sometimes I think the karma, <laughs> yeah, the more, the more bad karma you put out there, the more returns to you. And I think the, the the more good karma you put out, I think comes back to you. It just it doesn't always come back uh, the way that you necessarily want it to, but uh, it's important. Um, I, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think I think the biggest thing for me the last six months of just kind of being by myself in a sense, as far as doing all this work and everything, it's put things into perspective. And you know, I think the big thing is. Uh, you know, I, I started this as a hobby and turned it into a business, you know, and 18 years later, it, I would probably say six months ago, I kind of just blew up a little bit and I just didn't want it anymore in a sense, you know, you know, like you said earlier, it's, you got to be happy doing what you're doing. And I think I'm kind of getting back to the roots of it being a hobby again, you know, as far as making sure that I'm always, you know, going into the shop and, and being happy and perspective is always there to be able to see what you want to do and everything. So, uh, the last six months have probably been a little bit more of an eye opener for me because 
doing it full-time as a business with all the stuff, the headaches of everything that boils down on top of it, paying the bills, having employees, you know, customers and everything. It just, I don't know. I just, I want it to be a hobby again. And I just want to kind of slow down a little bit and start worrying about more of the quality and the craftsmanship of it than so much of a business side of it, I guess I could say. Right. Is your, uh, is your shop in downtown Fayetteville? Yep. Right downtown Fayetteville. Okay, so if someone wants to find you, um, they can find you. What's your website? It's uh, tbcworks.com. And then you've got – that goes to your blog, and then obviously people can find you on Facebook at TBC Hot Rods and Bikes. Um, if, someone, if someone's got a project and, and they're listening to this right now and, and, uh, and they, want, you know, they want to work with your – once they see your work and that, do you do partial things? Like, could someone bring you a, a car and say, hey, listen, I'd really like to have a roll cage put in this, or I'd like to have a suspension system put in this, or do you just do full projects? No, we do uh, we do the little projects all the way to the major projects. So you can take it cradle to grave, but you can also help them out with uh, you know getting things started too. Yeah, yeah. I've got, you know, a guy wants to come in on a sissy bar, you know, made for his bike, or if he wants to set of pipes built, or if they come in wanting a roll cage, or you know, a rear end built for his car, or you know, whatnot. You know, we st- I still do all those jobs. Those are to me, those are the jobs you have to have because the big build the big builds are the ones that normally. Nine times out of ten, you feel like you never get paid on them, so you always have to do the little in and out jobs. Right on. So, are you a? Uh, do you sell any parts over the counter, or anything? Or are you just strictly a fab shop? No, we, um, we. Well, I don't really have a showroom anymore. But I mean, as far as I'm always trying to push parts, uh, whether it's on the bike side or the or the hot rod side of things, or even race car, uh, I have all my suppliers still and everything and. With the new with the new shop, I am working on a, another showroom. Um, we kind of gave my you know I kind of gave myself a portion of the building uh, to where I can build another showroom and everything, so I can actually start you know doing the production line of stuff that I want to do, but then also you know start carrying you know parts and all that stuff when I need it and everything. Cool. Well, man, I I appreciate you taking the time such on such a short notice to to uh, to talk with me, and uh, hopefully we get some good feedback, and you'll get some some traffic driven to your website. Are you on Instagram? Yes. What's your Instagram uh, tag? Um, you're gonna have to ask me something, and I think it's TBC Works. TBC Works. Okay, cool. Yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken, it should be TBC Works. Um, but the uh, yeah, the, the Facebook and the, the blog and everything. I mean, those are like the easiest to find me on. But uh, but TBC works. That's normally how I normally put everything under. Right on, and we can find you if we're in downtown Fayetteville, North Carolina. What's the biggest? What's the next biggest town? I'm not familiar with North Carolina really. What? How, where's Fayetteville at? We're we're about an hour from uh, Raleigh. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Well, cool, man. I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. Um, I wish you well in 2013, and uh, please keep in touch with me. And uh, anything else that you want anyone to know about? Just keep building. Put that helmet down and just keep building. Right on, man. I appreciate it. You have yourself a good 2013, and I'll talk to you very soon, my friend. All right, Jason. Thank you, buddy. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Hot Wheels Podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. Thank you for listening. Remember to rate us on iTunes.